if the plumber goes away and doesn't you know hold the pipe with his hand then what happens is the water going to go around everywhere or is the pipe going to stay right and this is the exact same thing if that person leaves what happens this is the SaaS open mic podcast where we talk to SaaS leaders about the inner workings of growing a business starting a business is not too hard nowadays but growing it successfully definitely is. Listen to SaaS founders and operators talk about their daily challenges, strategic moves, tough decisions, and mistakes made along the way. My name is Bianca Wilk. I'm the host of SaaS Open Mic. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics with just a few clicks. Jules Berto is the CEO and co-founder of Livestorm, Livestorm is an end-to-end video engagement platform that observes over 1 million participants each month. In 2020, they raised 30 million Series B in order to scale the company's go-to-market strategies towards mid-market and enterprise. Gilles and I speak about creating self-sustaining systems inside an organization to enable growth. This is my interview with Gilles. Pleasure to have you on the podcast, Gilles. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. So, Jill, I've heard you speak publicly um, back in 2020 about just the exponential growth uh, of your company of Livestorm. So I definitely want us to talk about that growth, but probably from like a slightly different perspective and also from the perspective of time, right? It's been more than two years now. Yeah. But before we start, could you give us an introduction to you and an introduction to Livestorm? Yeah. So my name is Gilles. Uh, I always get asked, you know, how do you should I pronounce your name? You know, think about Jill, but without the D and you get pretty much something that feels right in French. So my name is Gilles. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Livestorm. So Livestorm is what we call the video engagement platform. So basically our territory is everything in video conferencing that lies between a simple call and a virtual event. That's pretty much what we do today. And as for me, I oversee go-to-market operations, so meaning marketing, growth, and sales mostly. And uh, I have you know head off in VPs reporting directly to me. And obviously I still have you know the usual CEO stuff, so investor relationship, finance stuff like that. And yeah you know, switching up the lights when leaving the room. Jill, when the pandemic started, uh, Livestorm experienced massive growth. You mentioned in one of the interviews, like 8x growth. Yeah. And also, I know that the size of your team grew a lot. Like you were 30 people before the pandemic, and now you're 150. Are those numbers correct? Yeah, actually 160, so 10 plus. But I think we're going to, you know, perhaps like trying to settle things down for a while, let the let the dust kind of fall down until we, you know, as I always say, we build this really big boat and it's very different uh, to navigate with. So now we need to learn about, you know, how do we do it like a 90 degrees turn when you have something that weights this much. So it's a, it's a very different exercise. So yeah, it was, it's pretty much where we stand today. It's been a 2020 has been like very crazy. I don't think that's something that usually happens in a company life and i don't think it's actually healthy to happens every year because it was really intense but essentially went from 30 people to as, as you said 86 in that single year and in terms of 
In terms of revenue, we were like, I don't know, 1,000-ish customers by March. You know, we were just like post-series A. So that gives you an, an estimate of where we stand from a, from a perspective. And actually, most of the growth that we had this year occurred during mid-March up until end of May. So we went from 1,000-ish to almost 3,000 customers by the end of May. So it was very, very intense, obviously, we were not prepared for it. The product was not, I mean, the infrastructure was not prepared for it, but uh, it was a wild ride. I think the, the one thing that I learned, well, not that I learned, but I'm grateful for is that the team organically stopped doing everything that was not a priority, right? So product stopped building features, it was all reliability. Everyone started to jump on support. So I had my CPO, I had, you know, head of marketing doing, you know, support on intercom, answering the people, et cetera, et cetera. It was, I don't know, in a way, it was cool to see that happening, you know, like it was from a founder perspective. I think it's very, I don't know, it's it's a nice thing to see when people are trying to help each other when there's difficult times. So, yeah. That's real dedication, right? That just means that you do, that you hire the right people and that you have the right team. Exactly. That's the confirmation of, wow, we did a good thing. We hired the right people at the right time. I think if we had a different teams back then, we'll probably not be speaking here today. Definitely. Yeah, that was actually my next question because I was going to ask you what you think made that growth possible, but your answer is clearly, well, my team. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think allowed you to grow and be successful? I think we had like lucky choices that we made from the beginning. So when we started, it's our first company, right? And we we had this very candid approach of SaaS. And when we first started back in 2015-ish, 2016, we wanted to have something that feels a bit like MailChimp. So something a very low touch kind of grow-to-market model where people just go through the sign-up form, they put a credit card in and they become customers and we don't necessarily talk to them just when they need it and we give them as much content as possible. And that was the model that we were like really heavily preaching. And then it made us mix. It was a very efficient model because you don't spend that much. You can scale. You only care about the growth, marketing, acquisition, and you don't necessarily have to have sales. You don't necessarily have to have all those support functions that go around sales like finance or legal or whatnot, when, which is very different when you go on to enterprise software mode, right? And um, so the fact that we made this choice early on is definitely something that helped us in that specific moment of our company life. Because when you get like plus two, 3,000 customers coming through the door, if you have a something that is not self-service that it, that is entirely sales based when you have a i don't know maybe a team of 15 sales for example they cannot absorb that kind of load it's not going to happen you're going to leave money on the table and by having the self-service model i think this is what enabled us to just scale you know and that was so that was the first part of the answer second part of the answer is definitely the team definitely the focus that we had everyone at the same time and i think the last bit is pure pure luck, you know, of being, I mean, it's just that we're here in the middle of this pandemic where everything needs to, everyone needs to work remote. And turns out we have a video conferencing product. I mean, that's a, that's a freaking planet's alignment, right? I mean, it doesn't happen, right? So it's, uh, so yeah, I think those were the main three factors, to be honest. You mentioned some of the challenges before, but how would you describe the main areas that you were seeing, you know, like the hardest challenges? I think the first thing is 
we didn't have any proper framework around how to organize people, how to design. What One thing that is actually very clear to me now that was not clear then is how do I create self-sustaining systems inside my organization? What it means is, what if my VP sales, I don't know, decides to leave for a year for whatever reason, right? What happens then is it's what I call like the plumber syndrome. If the plumber goes away and doesn't you know, hold the pipe with his hand, then what happens? Is the water going to go around everywhere or is the pipe going to stay, right? And this is the exact same thing. If that person leaves, what happens? And back then, it was plumber syndrome everywhere. We knew that if we had not those people around, we knew that this organization was going to go to well, on the toilet, essentially. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to build framework around it. That was the main challenge. It took us like, I don't know, probably like a year and a half to really figure things out, lay down everything. And um, it all boils down now to something very, very, very simple in every single branches of our organogram. It's just like it's a five to one ratio. You, we know we have empirically proven that when you have a manager that have more than five people, things start to get really messy unless that manager is actually really well experimented. You know, it's a full-time job to manage five people, to make sure they're on target, to make sure they have clear expectations, to have one-on-ones, blah, blah, blah. Above that, it starts to get really messy unless you're really well organized. And um, so that's something we have applied. And just a simple rule made us define every single pieces in our organization, the how we deal with pods, where squads, with tribes, with everything. And now it's a very coherent system. And that's something that is good. Also, since we were going to go full remote, the one thing that we actually still struggle to this day is communication, right? It's not just office communication when you actually can read the people's face in, in tone and whatnot. It's just that you need to set extreme clear guidelines and how to communicate and how to deal with people. So it goes as far as saying the naming convention for the Slack channel is this, and the purpose of this Slack channel is this, and this is the language they're going to use for this specific channel. It goes as far and as precise as this. And uh, it sets clear expectations on how to communicate. People have a mandatory profile to fill and say, how it work with me? Is there something that I like, something I dislike, what I prefer, something that, you know, those sort of things to make sure there is no ambiguity in how to communicate remotely with people. And the last bit that was a bit long to figure out is say that we were this very candid vision of remote saying, you know, uh, we are scaling, we go from 30 to 160 people and nobody see each other. One thing that I found out a bit later is that people actually need, even on a remote basis, to find a position, to find a a place where they belong. It means that when you're in an office, you know that you belong in that space, that specific table, you know you have a manager in front of you, et cetera, et cetera. You're on a remote basis, you don't have that. You don't have that. You're alone in your chair at your desk and maybe your manager is like 10,000 kilometers away. So to create this sense of belonging, I think to this day that it is not possible to do it at a company scale. I mean, it is possible, but not as strongly as have the sense of belonging to a specific team. So this is what I call like building villages. The thing you need to figure out is a way of 
building a small village that your team feels like a small village where people get to hang out, get to know each other, get to talk, get to have casual conversations, have their own system of values and culture internally. That obviously aligns with the rest of the company, but that's very hard. And uh, it means spending time with people, finding obviously remote, but also team of sites, that sort of thing. And it could be also as simple as saying, you know what, this is actually your organogram. This is you in the entire company. This is where you stand. This is your team. And this is your immediate coworkers and next one and other layers, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so it is the sum of little things that will build your sense of belonging in a team and therefore in a company. And that's actually very important on a remote basis because otherwise you feel very lonely. So to sum it up, it is sense of belonging, async communication, clear guidelines of communication and this five to one ratio management, essentially. Yeah, because if your team is your biggest asset, you have to also enable them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, setting clear expectations on what it means to be successful objectives. And I mean, on a remote basis, you cannot, it's really hard to measure input. And as a matter of fact, you should not measure input. Uh, this is measuring input is the equivalent of micromanaging, in my opinion. But if you start watching only the outputs of the result, which is what you should be doing in the first place, and remote kind of obligates you to do that, it's much easier. But if you're going to watch only outputs, you need to be really clear about what that successful output looks like. So it is it puts a lot of pressure on to be it's important a lot of pressure on being a good manager and being a good communicator uh i'm really really i'm a huge pain in the ass for setting up okrs uh i i i mean i do some heavy markups on every single team okrs because i feel they're not clear enough um the the, the, the rule of thumb is I'm not supposed to know what your team does, but I'm supposed to be able to measure the outcome success of your team. Even if you're a developer, I should be able to go on your car and actually being able to assess if this is a success or not. If not, if I'm not able to do that, if this is too subjective of, uh, because you're a manager and you're the only one who know what his success looks like, then it's not a good OKR. And it will not set clear expectation for the team. Got it. So switching topics slightly. I wanted to talk to you about hiring. We talked 30 to 80 to 150 people in just two years. That's impressive. How did your approach to hiring change when you had to just switch thinking how you think about Livestorm? It's a, it's a good question. So there are different pieces, different steps to answer that. The first one is obviously how do you source? So one thing that you know that should have done way before even before COVID, honestly, and this whole this whole scale thing is having a recruiter internally. It is so much, I don't know, it saves so much time to have someone that knows how to find people. I mean, obviously it's not, you know, it, it, it is natural to go on LinkedIn and just have the right keywords, et cetera. But it's, it, when it's actually your job and you have all the tips and tricks already, you know, and you know that, it's it's so much easier and and they have a lot of good tricks on how to put their feet on the door and create that first contact etc and i don't know that was a huge game changer for us to have someone internally dedicated to hunting and recruiting and whatnot so that was uh, the first step the second step was how do i make sure that if we go from 30 to 160 the people that we hire have the same 
level of I don't know skills and culture fit and whatnot that the other ones and that's uh, that was a tough one but the good news is the most of the managers that were in place they were here for a long time uh, some of them were here from since the very very beginning so they knew us and they knew the company as almost as good as we do right as a founder they were almost like co-founders to me and so it was very easy for me to delegate that sort of hiring to them because they were they knew the company by heart they knew the founders by heart so they knew everything that we lacked in people and um so that was easy but for the new ones one thing that we started doing and we were like really bad we were really bad at this startup thing at the beginning but we didn't for example we didn't put our values and cultures on the wall you know and whatnot that sort of thing we didn't do that it was very it was kind of unconscious but with this scaling phase and we needed to delegate hiring we needed to delegate hiring to people that didn't that were not that experimented in the company so it made sense now to actually formulate those um, those values and what we were looking for. So we did that. We took a, a little bit of time to, did, to do that. And um, I think that helped. And um, we discussed it with the managers. If, does that make sense? Do we need to be clear? Do you align with it, et cetera? And you know, it was a very simple conversation at the end of the day. And uh, I, I think it helped. So that was um, the second thing. And the last bit was making sure that the process for hiring was very standardized. So it was pretty much always the same pattern. First interview with the recruiter, second interview with the direct managers, or switching with a um, an assignment, technical assignment, or it could be third step. We could switch one of those two. And the final step was always a call with me to make sure it was a call, there was a culture fit. It was usually no more than four steps unless that person was a manager and there was like a fifth step but that was it so it was very framework very standardized which means it doesn't leave room for doubts and questions on how do we do that how do we recruit that person and the last bit was onboarding and that was actually the most important one i have a um, employee experience um, team lead here uh, Actually, when she first started, she was office manager, and now she she actually just solely in charge of employee experience. And basically, her job is to make sure that onboarding goes as smoothly as possible. And when she arrived on board, she did everything by hand, and we learned together on how to automate things. And now we have actually we have a published article on how we do it, but it is everything is automated from Zapier contracts generation type form whatever. Everything is as automated as possible to make sure we spend time only on the things that matter. So the experience, the actual one-to-one, face-to-face experience for the candidate and the whole admin stuff, blah, blah, blah. Everything is automated so we don't you know, waste time on repetitive tasks. And um, I think that has, you know, it has a huge impact on uh, candidate experience. So the sum of all those things makes me think that we did a, I think a good job on the hiring phase. Obviously, there is always, you know, errors of casting, but uh, we didn't have that much, to be honest. So, yeah, fingers crossed. So far, so good. Yeah. So, how did you think about hiring velocity? As you know, as as the CEO, as the founder of LifeStorm, did you have like a short term or a long term plan for hiring? What we used to do before 2021 was to say, okay, we're gonna hire when it starts to feel very, very painful to work without that profile, that person. 
And for the first time in 2021, the main the, the shift of paradigm was to say, okay, we're going to be hiring sales. That's one of the focus that we have. We know we want to hire sales. So we need to build the functions that we want to have. But we knew that in order to support that team, we need to build support functions around it. So we needed more HR, we needed more legal, some finance, etc. So we didn't wait to be painful. We wanted to have the foundation here to support that new team. So, and obviously product to support their effort as well. So we were much more proactive. So I guess that a good way to summarize it is when you're on the scaling phase, you're more on a proactive way of building your new team architecture when you're more on a non-scaling phase. So after that first year, after raising a fund, you go back into lean mode and essentially you start hiring only when it gets critical and really painful for your organization, which is exactly what we're doing now in 2022, for example. I wanted to ask you about your metrics as well. So back in, you know, at the beginning of 2020, you must have had like some North Star metric, right? Like uncertain goals, but that must have changed drastically, right? Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about your metrics and how you start, you know, started looking at them differently? Yeah. For us, it has always been, you know, about ARR, MRR, all those like classic SaaS metrics that we follow very closely, right? And I think it's the same thing for every SaaS. And, uh, but we didn't have something that was, and we didn't feel the need for it until like, I don't know, let's say like 2021, more or less. But uh, like this metric, this product metric that was a good proxy for market growth market visibility and uh, revenue growth. You know, we, for example, Slack is, um, I don't know, the number, the average number um, messages sent on a workspace, something. I think that's uh, per week. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, for Miro, for example, is the number of, um, the, the number of boards uh, that people interact with um, on a given week. And we didn't have that. And it was actually, at some point, it was very, it was difficult for us to, to say, okay, what is an active user? What is it? Until we were like 30 extra, it was pretty an unconscious thing, almost like the value. So it was really unconscious. We knew who was active, who was not active, how how much was MRR. But when in 2021, we started having more and more people, it was difficult to to present to the team how the usage was evolving. And this is when we actually needed to have something like a broader direction. And also it's, not everyone is interested by AR. It's a really kind of intuitive thing to say, but uh, you know, some developers, some product, and it's okay to be honest, they don't necessarily care about AR. They care about the product, the building, they care about the users, and they need to reattach what they're doing to something a bit more concrete. And this is also part of the reason why we wanted to have this no-star. And Actually, it came out very, very organically, very naturally. And um, the NOSTA that we look at today is what we call the active contact. So it's a very simple name, but essentially it's the number of people that have interacted with a uh, Livestorm session on a given month. It's super easy. So it can be a participant, can be a team members um, of your workspace that just jump on the meeting. And that's it. You know, it was as simple as that. And the good thing is that metric is not capped. So it can go in a very... It's infinite on a given month. You can go for you know, 10,000 or 10 million, whatever. And um, it correlates really well with revenue. So that's another thing that is also very cool. And it is the third characteristics. It is something we can also apply to competitors. And the good thing is by having that, 
applicable to other competitors. It enabled us to have some kind of benchmark metric we can also use for them. So it felt very logical to go in that direction. And actually, as a matter of fact, we're now using that same North Star metric to rework our pricing and have a usage-based pricing on top of that metric. So everything will be even more correlated now. So I think that was a very good thing that happened in, the, in 2021, being able to come up with that North Star metric where everyone can look in the same direction. But again, it was probably a bit too late, and uh, I would not recommend doing that that much that late. Yeah, I think there's plenty of people that feel similarly to you. It's not as easy as it sounds. It sounds easy only in retrospective. Yeah. One last question, Jill. If you had a chance to go back to 2020, mm-hmm. what would you do differently? Mm, that's a good one. Actually, a lot of the things, um, well, it's a difficult thing to say because I think we could have gone even faster. That's, I think. But at the same time, it would have put a little bit of too much pressure on the team as well. So it's a difficult balance. I mean, I know very veteran entrepreneurs and founders and CEO from other companies that are much larger than us, you know, and they are very okay with, I don't know, spending 20, 30 million euros in one in one single year. And even though it's going to put the company at risk, maybe they're going to buy growth, right? And uh, I think by being... Sp- young first time entrepreneur for we didn't hit the gas as much as we could have i guess but uh at the same time it also preserved culture and and honestly you know doing eight x on one in one year is it's pretty outstanding nevertheless so yeah we could have gone faster but i think i don't regret it so much uh one thing honestly i think we should have done sooner is there is a tons of new jobs that we have open in the last 12 months and for a long time we were like yeah no that's not necessary we're gonna say that later it's not a priority but now that we have those people on board it makes so much difference you know having a proper data team product marketing managers um, that's those are very essential positions to learn more about your business to learn more about your user to enable teams with more data points or more tools and honestly if we had that for you know, maybe like way before, we could have gone faster. We could have, we could have enabled the team with some better efficiency, I, I, I suppose. But um, maybe we're. I think the, it's a big old bucket of we are a bit too prudent, I guess. But you know, I put that on the being first time entrepreneur. Next time we'll do better. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? There's yeah. <laughs> this this phrase is is very accurate nowadays. <laughs> Absolutely. Jill, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. You know, I'm a Livestorm user myself, so I definitely look forward to seeing, you know, what's next for, for a Livestorm. I'll, I'll be following along. I oh, appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me on SaaS Open Mic. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of SaaS Open Mic. If you enjoyed it, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The best teams in SaaS use Chartmogul to measure, understand, and grow their recurring revenue. Head over to chartmogul.com to try the leading subscription analytics platform. That's chartmogul.com. See you in the next episode of SaaS Open Mic.